to my mind, like the first thing that pops up and when I'm looking at my own scores, I'm high and mischievous. So I'm, I can be very charming, keep everyone kind of happy, bring some interesting topics and entertain people. Um, that reminds me a lot of um, Harvey Specter in Suits. I don't know if you ever watched that one. Um, but on the, I mean, on the downside, it can be just too risk-taking, limit-seeking. And I mean, I might then come across, especially if if I encounter people and have to work with people who are like on low on the mischievous scale and maybe not relate so much to it like I do, maybe even come across as untrustworthy. That's Christina Ralph, who works with leaders and others on the personality characteristics that can help people develop self-awareness and live better lives. The first thing that comes to my mind is Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining. He's got a whole bar shelf of derailers, let's not lie. But for me, it's just when he gets into, and I think it's after, you know, Stanley Kubrick does his Kubrick stare, I think something clicks in Jack Nicholson with he needs to be to pull this off, right? To pull off the rest of the Shining movie and the actions he needs to do. He needs to now not be so sloppy and be detail oriented, right? Because Diligent is all about conscientious, perfectionist, nitpicky to a certain extent. And that's something, you know, when he's writing out all play, no work makes like Jack a good boy or something like that. That's Brittany Lawhorn the Director of Operations at Goose Creek Consulting, who also works with leaders and others who have those same goals. Welcome to the Silver Linings Handbook. I'm Jason Blair. Today we're going to go off the rails and have some fun. This episode was inspired by someone asking me to do a psychological profile of the guy who knows when you've been sleeping and knows when you're awake. The guy who knows when you've been good or bad. Yes, Santa Claus. I mean, he's also the guy who sneaks into homes during the night when people are asleep, but instead of stealing our valuables, he leaves gifts. Not only does that mean Santa is supportive and loyal and caring, that's bold. He wraps the presents and custom tailors them for the specific desires of the person receiving them. That requires a tremendous amount of diligence, maybe even to an obsessive level. He also comes in the dark of night, doesn't hang around to chat with anyone, and spends most of his time at the North Pole with his closest friends, the elves. Clearly, Santa is a jolly introvert. So why do we relate to Santa? He's the perfect amalgamation Of all of our personality characteristics, we love him because he mirrors that bright side of so many of our qualities, the qualities that we share with him, without the derailing tendencies that can pop up at times. So I'm rejoining my colleagues, Brittany and Christina, to have a fun episode discussing personality qualities uh, that can sometimes get us into a little bit of trouble and often are the great things about us, and the fictional characters that bring those characteristics to life. This episode will give us a chance to laugh and learn, get some chuckles, and gain some insight. I hope it's fun, and I hope you get to learn something too, but I'm more focused on the fun. 
What we find in our work is that sometimes it's easier to relate to ourselves when we have great examples from the screen or other forms of entertainment. Today, we're going to be using a framework designed by Dr. Bob Hogan, the founder of Hogan Assessments, and we'll be exploring 11 personality tendencies that really, really are core to our lives. In our next episode, which will be a second one, we'll explore the absence of those personality tendencies and how they shape us. Brittany and Christina have been two of our favorite guests on the podcast. Listeners have written about their insights on psychology, their humor, and how much fun the episodes are where they come on. Thrilled to have them back. So, Britt, I just wanted to thank you for joining. And, Christina, I wanted to thank you for joining again for both of you. We've already done three episodes together on coaching the whole person. And I wanted, you know, to bring us back together to just talk a little bit about, in a little more detail about some of those personality characteristics that so many listeners were interested in. But before we get started, I wanted to just throw it out to you guys to talk a little bit about, you know, the uh, advantages of knowing your derailers and what derailers are. So, Jason, thanks for for having us again. Um, It's always a pleasure being here. Um, Yeah, and to your question, so derailers can actually be strength, but just overused when you don't monitor yourself and you're under stress. They become can become real derailers, and you can hurt people. You can essentially destroy your career. And knowing your derailers, and also knowing your strength. I mean, um, that's kind of it's always on the edge. But knowing and being aware of what you are good at and where you have to be somewhat cautious once you you you're stressed and you can tell ah these might be some things I have to monitor myself. It's just good to know those. Makes total sense. How about you, Britt? What do, what do derailers mean for you? And what do you see when you think of them and see the value? Yeah, first off, I just wanted to say thank you again for having me. It's always exciting to be a part of such an interesting podcast topic. For me, I think Christina nailed it on the head with, you know, there's this advantage you have of knowing not only your strengths, But sometimes where, and I hate using the word weaknesses, so the way I try to view a derailer is it's really reshaping the understanding of your strengths and where you might be overcompensating in some of those areas to the point of missing the mark and derailing. So it's kind of, um, you know, we use metaphors a lot to understand things, especially me. And for me, it's almost like someone who goes to the gym and works out for three hours. At a certain point, you're overworking yourself or overexuding to the point of not working out anymore, not working the right muscles or working out efficiently. So it's just learning how to reshape your strengths into being more efficient to reach your target. I love that metaphor because it's kind of like in that moment, you know, they say they recommend 30 minutes of exercise per day, you know, an hour isn't going to hurt you, but there becomes a point where it's like a bell curve, right? And you maximize the value of that exercise, then it comes crashing down and you're doing damage. That's a, I, I think that's a great way to describe it. So I'll give you guys a little background of why I want to do this episode. You know, it struck me 
in doing work with people on their personalities and assessing them and giving them sort of feedback and helping them understand themselves and build uh, self-awareness, that one of the really interesting things that I found is that people really respond to things like the point you're making, Brad, about metaphors. They really respond to you know, comparisons that you draw. And I've always found it fun and disarming to give people a fictional character to kind of compare them to. Like if I compare them to a real life person, I don't know what their politics are. I don't know what their fill in the blank are. But I think most people generally love uh, a lot of uh, fictional characters. And then also recently, there's this uh, podcast. It's called Santa May Be a Criminal. And it's about it's about this it's this fictional podcast about uh, Santa Claus and he's like driving down the road somebody spiked his drink he has a crash in his sleigh and all of a sudden there's a, a dead woman beside his sleigh who also has an owl marks on her head which is kind of interesting but so the whole podcast is this uh, journey. And it's like this beautiful podcast, actually. It's this journey into, is Santa really a criminal? And what do essentially sort of like some of our childhood dreams and stuff like that mean to us? But one of the listeners to that podcast, who's also a listener to the Silver Linings Handbook, recently asked me to do a psychological profile of Santa. And so I wrote a couple paragraphs back looking at the different kind of um, derailers and and it struck me as I was doing it, I was like, the most authentic characters are based on these real personality characteristics, like the ones that resonate with us the most are because the writers have really done their research and they've built authentic uh, authentic characters. Does that make sense to you guys? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> Little too close to home on that one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> right? You sometimes watch TV and you're like, that's me. Um, but so what I wanted to do today is just sort of sit down and talk about the 11 primary derailers. It's very interesting about the Hogan. I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but they're really actually 12 derailers. Have I ever told you this? No, I don't think so. Go ahead. <laughs> One is so bad that they don't use it in... Um, they don't use it in a work environment because they kind of figure if you have this derailer, you shouldn't. It's actually sadism. <laughs> that is the uh, that is the last. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. So we're gonna skip sadism for today. We'll leave that to the FBI profilers and uh, investigators and forensic psychologists. So I was gonna go ahead and just get us started off. And I know uh, where I came up with this first uh, description. It was I was in the middle of a debrief with one of our with a colleague, and you know I was trying to explain to her this concept of excitable because she is actually a super nice person, an unbelievably nice person, but under stress or not paying attention, which is when derailers pop up she can become a little intense and a little volatile. And what excitable is really about is intensity, energy, but becoming sort of like moody, inconsistent, volatile, volatile or unpredictable. And so what I said was like, she's a huge Marvel fan. 
I was like, it's kind of like Bruce Banner. You know, you're like totally calm. You're a nice person until your triggers hit and you become the Hulk, right? And then you explode and you can't stop yourself and you worry about hurting people. And that was an example that really sort of like resonated with her for excitable and recognizing, okay, like when the Hulk, you know, blows out into the Hulk, what does he need? He needs like friends who can give him feedback, people who can dial him down. And so that became like a great lens for her to look at developing that area. And I was and just throw it out to you guys uh, in terms of either what you use or what you think about that as a, uh, an example. Oh, yeah, that's a that's a good one, Jason. Um, what comes to my mind, like the first thing that pops up and when I'm looking at my own scores, I'm high and mischievous. So I'm I can be very charming, keep everyone kind of happy, bring some interesting topics and entertain people. Um, that reminds me a lot of um, Harvey Specter in Suits. I don't know if you ever watched that one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but on the, I mean, on the downside, it can be just too risk-taking, limit-seeking. I mean, I might then come across, especially if if I encounter people and have to work with people who are like on low on the mischievous scale and maybe not relate so much to it like I do, maybe even come across as untrustworthy and that belief is something that you want to achieve. So. So it's funny you say that, Christina. I remember when I was younger, I watched uh, the movie Girl Interrupted, mm. which is Angelina Jolie and Winona Ryder, and they're both in a mental hospital, um, which is pretending not to be McLean Hospital, uh, Harvard Psychiatric Hospital, up in Belmont, Massachusetts. And, you know, I kind of, it was a litmus test, right? Because Angela... Angelina Jolie's character is this risk taker who's manipulative and pushes the limits. And during the whole movie, I'm laughing at every reference, everything that she does, every manipulative thing, every sort of charming limit testing thing. And my girlfriend at the time is just going, (laughs) and it's absolutely aghast. So I always thought that was kind of like, as I learned more about personality psychology, I was like, some of these movies might be litmus tests for uh, for us and our who we are and our relationships. Yeah, so complete opposite side of the spectrum, right? I I am one that just doesn't believe in risk taking with my profile, um, and the scores that I kind of that really stuck out to me when you asked this question was my dutifulness and also surprisingly my cautious score. Because I don't view my cautious score as, you know, being outrageously overused, but I can definitely see where I am trying to hit a home run when it's really just meant to be a foul ball, if that makes sense. What's cautious? Could you just talk a little bit about what the cautious score is and what the dutiful score is? Happily. So dutiful is just, you know, you want to be supportive. You're over eager to please, um, kind of ingratiating with authority and just trying all around to please what you view as your authority. And then cautious is just being careful at kind of what I'm talking about here, risk adverse. And what really sticks out to me in one of the definitions of cautious is fearful of failure. It's like hints of perfectionism mixed in with cautious. And, you know, there was obviously a lot of 
fictional characters that stuck out to me. But really when I was trying to combine these two scores, um, I was trying to think of something that actually relates to me. And so with my domestic partner being a marine specialist, he takes care and he actually has this coral reef in our apartment. And one thing that stuck out to me was there is a symbiotic relationship between his goby and his pistol shrimp. But the goby's whole life is about being dutiful to the pistol shrimp, being kind of um, fearful of failing the shrimp. The entire coexistence of this shrimp is relied on by the goby. What is a what is a goby fish? It is what it's like. Oh, this is where he should be on here, not me. But it is um, basically just this fish that kind of has these fins that work as legs, if you will. Doesn't walk on them, but it just perches up in the sand. But the pistol shrimp lives in a hole in the rock and the goby sits outside of the hole to protect it, watch it, give it cues with its tail if something's coming and the pistol shrimp needs to get away. It acts as an armor and defense mechanism for the pistol shrimp. So it sort of exists to support the pistol shrimp. 100%. Without that goby, the pistol shrimp is inferior. It just doesn't exist or doesn't really live it, it's serves just no purpose it's not exactly it's not serving its purpose in the tank and so that was something to me that really stuck out was you know i feel like in this sense i am the goby you know i have a fearful uh, perfectionism fear of failure but mainly just the dutifulness because that is one of my highest derailers in the hds is that that resonated with me a lot so i'll give you the one that like i I always thought of, and I used, actually, this is a metaphor with a client, where we're talking about dutiful, which is really about being supportive and loyal, but potentially, particularly with your bosses, being a little over eager to please or deferential or ingratiating. And we were talking about how, like, this is the one derailer that's got, like, no downside with your boss it's really it shows up as a derailer in working with your colleagues and peers where you're always going to sort of support your boss and not necessarily them and but it, the point i made to this person was actually it does kind of show up as a derailer for you because if you get a kind of narcissistic boss or manipulative boss or whatever, you're devoting yourself to them completely and you're getting nothing in return. And it reminded me of like Anne Hathaway's character in, um, I think it was Andy Sachs or something like that in The Devil's Wears Pro uh, Prada, where she was working with Glenn Close. And she just sort of like lost herself in supporting her and doing things along like along those lines and that really ended up uh derailing her and she went from this like super nice person which she was to one who wasn't necessarily treating her colleagues well and other stuff like that because it was too much to your points both your points in the beginning you end up overusing it uh when things become too stressful and it starts doing harm so I always think dutiful is a great example. Like no one's going to complain about you being supportive and loyal, but it might throw your life off and it might throw some people's life off because of this quality if it gets overused. I can see also another issue with dutiful as a potential derailer 
not just for your own, like you hurt yourself being always nice and pleasing and therefore just pleasing the boss and being, let's say, mean to your colleagues. Um, it can also be if, let's say, someone is very, very high on dutiful and has to report um, negative things to the boss. It might be something where the person not just has a real problem with it, but more or less talk things down and doesn't report the, the full picture. And the, the boss then does a total wrong risk assessment based on yeah, yeah, just bringing over the bad news in a very, very pleasant way. Yeah, 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 and not bringing, yeah, not necessarily telling the thing that's wrong. And 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 back to Britt's point about cautious, I always think of like there are a lot of characters like this, and a lot of sitcoms, there are characters like this. Uh, I think about like cautious, and one of the things you know, there are a lot of really good characters that kind of represent cautious. Almost every sitcom has a character like this, but. The movie Inside Out is always a great example of like any emotion because they have a character focused around anger. They have a character, you know, who's super nice. They have a character called Fear who is totally cautious, right? Careful, thorough, but risk averse. So every plan that they have to fix things, super worrisome about it. And it's interesting because, Britt, you got on a really good point that when you put the cautious and the dutiful together, that if they're not overused, they can actually be a really good thing. You can be supportive, loyal, and you can keep your colleagues out of trouble. But when they're overused, like you can freeze things up, not necessarily share important information feel this internal struggle between like slowing things down out of a fear of failure and then kind of speeding it up to please your boss, which can, you know, create all this uh, stress. And I think it's a good point that no derailer operates on its own. Most people have at least three that's, that are in the space that we call high risk. Yeah, completely. <laughs> I love the inside out uh, <laughs> fictional character metaphor, because that is, it's just like a little ball of worry, right? It's even over some things that seem so mundane, right? Like, where am I going to go to dinner? Okay, well, if, you know, Buffalo Wild Wings is closed, I need to have a backup plan in the same area so I'm not traveling far. And it's kind of exactly what I think we're saying with no derailer acts on its own. So when you get this poisonous cocktail, if you will, of cautious, dutiful, with it, um, it's kind of to back to your dutiful point. If you're not treating your, if you're treating yourself bad, it's kind of like you can't love people until you love yourself. So those relationships are just going to get more detrimental and more dangerous and more less dutiful mm. to yourself than they will if they if you're focusing kind of on like what you're saying, an EA who needs to have boundaries, have work life balance because they don't get that in their everyday interactions. So I was going to actually ask you guys both a question about that because I think you're both high on cautious and on dutiful as as potential derailers or near derailers. How do you balance that, right? Because that desire to please and that fear can kind of work together to create challenges. How do you guys find balance? How do you leverage the strengths of it? Jumping in here, I'm actually fairly low and cautious. Oh, that's right. So I'm high, beautiful, low, cautious. So I don't think I have so much of an internal conflict 
with this combination? <laughs> I do. <laughs> um, right. um, so uh, not trying to answer, you know, a question with the derailer, basically, but I try to combat this tug of war by throwing another one of my high derailers into the mix, which is imaginative. You know, kind of what we're talking about. It's, it's sometimes if it's overused, right, I'm going to miss the mark because I can be impractical with my ideas. Could you define imaginative? Yeah. So it's it kind of being creative um, to the point of sometimes lacking focus, very eccentric uh, perspective or, you know, people perceive you as being very eccentric or uh, impractical. Um, so, you know, kind of what we're talking about, if it's overused, right, I, I will miss the mark at times. But the way I kind of calm myself down in high moments of stress when I'm overutilizing dutiful and cautious scores um, I, I try to view myself as, you know, there's a reason I'm thinking this way. There's a reason I'm behaving in this way. Yeah, Britt, on the imaginative piece, I see how you're like using that, creating a creative space for yourself when you're becoming too stressed out. The um, I remember the first time I ever gave a debrief and it was right during my certification course when I was debriefing someone and I was giving them the imaginative derailer as one of their their high scores and they're like i don't get it i was like have you seen the movie back to the future and they were like yeah i was like doc brown you know like the crazy guy with the crazy hair who builds the delorean that goes into the future and eventually goes goes back in time right absolutely brilliant absolutely creative but you got to trust him because some of it can be so creative that it seems odd to people and that people may have a hard time understanding. And, and you know, I, I thought that was like a really, 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 uh, it was a nice moment to see him be able to relate to it. But, you know, I laugh because I'm a hundred on imaginative. So I am that guy, right? Like uh, I have to slow myself down so people can, understand what I'm saying, I have to accept that some of my ideas are going to be absolutely brilliant and some of them are going to be crazy. And I have to be really careful about uh, not consuming all of uh, people's time with, with um, wild, wild ones. So, you know, one of the, one of the ones taking it to Star Wars, um, I'm, I'm super high on the, not super high, but I'm high on the reserve scale. I'm also high on the different scale that's not a derailer that has to do with sociability. So I'm generally pretty outgoing, but under stress or when my, well, it's really for me, it's primarily under stress. I'll pull away. I'll close that door. I'll need private time you know, to really sort of like recharge and refocus. And one of the challenges with that is sometimes people may interpret that as I'm not approachable or they might uh, think they did something wrong. So I have to communicate to people, hey, I need some time or I'm just recharging or this is my style or, you know, you'll know. Here's how I'll let you know if I'm actually mad about something. And reserve really has to do with end up being independent and objective, but becoming potentially socially drawn and tough. And, you know, it finally clicked for me because since I was in high school, people called me Yoda. And, you know, I realized that like Yoda is a great example of it, right? It's like tough, 
independent. He's not going to tell you what you want to hear. Um, but he's got to go to Dagobah and go in the swamp and recharge to think things through. And frankly, Yoda was unavailable uh, to Luke and everybody else at the time they needed. So I've really used that Yoda metaphor. On the other hand, I am very low when it comes to being skeptical. Um, like I can be naive, I enormously naive. Um, but people who are high and skeptical tend to be really perceptive and insightful, but they can be sort of like cynical, fault-finding, or negative when they derail. And I always thought like a great example of that being super perceptive was Anakin Skywalker from, I don't want to call them the first Star Wars movies because they really were the fourth, fifth, and sixth, but they're the chronologically the first ones. Because Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker, was really insightful and he was very perceptive, but he was so, and this is the derailing characteristic, so fearful of betrayal that he almost took it too far when um, and became so distrustful and held grudges. And that, that's kind of what sent him to the dark side. So I always thought those were great, great metaphors. Um, what else do you guys want to jump in? Do you want to jump in on those or point out some other ones that you think are really interesting that people might be able to relate to? Um, maybe just going quickly going back to your point with imaginative. <laughs> I suspect mm -hmm. I have a 96 on imaginative. And compare, I mean, combined with my high beautiful score and low on cautious, I can see why I often get the feedback, hey, slow down, hold on a second. And I have a really hard time with it because <clears throat> then once I get started, I'm getting too eccentric, lacking focus, um, but I'm not really that cautious. So I'm not really what I think is a real benefit of you, Brittany, that you maybe step back and don't want to, let's say, overstep a border. And and I, I'm lacking that part, especially under under stress. I'm not really setting and probably respecting other one's borders. So that's just to the your point. I just checked that one. That's a great one. What what do you what would you guys use to describe somebody? And I know we're working our way through, but somebody who is, let's say, bold, which is the confident and assertive one, but under stress or not paying attention can appear entitled or arrogant or just sort of overestimating their competence. First thing that comes to my mind is Batman. You know, it's a bit of a yep. really difficult character, but he comes across as very confident, confident, assertive, um, like this is the guy. But I think um, that he often comes across as very arrogant. And let's say if you're not really in favor of the good guy, he often crosses the line of almost being too arrogant to be liked. Yeah, to the point where he probably makes enemies out of even the people he's trying to help. Right. Yeah. And then, and it gets you into trouble, right? Because if you overestimate, I, the way I put it is, I would not want to see Batman without Robin. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> what about um, for you guys? A, you know, another one of them is derailer, which is about being outgoing, really socially skilled. Does anybody have that on? Do either of you guys have that as a derailer? I do not. Okay. Well, I'm somewhat in the middle, 48. Yeah. So I'm like very high in this one. So 
I'll, I'll let you guys sort of like think of ways that you describe it for other people. But being colorful, really, the strength of it is being outgoing, socially skilled, but, you know, potentially becoming attention seeking and, uh, you know, dramatic and self promoting. And, you know, it's interesting. So I personally, uh, love the first part of the colorful score, the idea of being outgoing and socially skilled. But as soon as people say the word self-promoting and attention-seeking to me, I, I want to reject it. So if you were going to use like a fictional metaphor or any metaphor to try and explain to me my colorfulness, how would you do it? This one... Again, I'm going to use an animal one just because for some reason my brain <laughs> with fictional characters is not working out. But for me, it would almost be describing you as kind of how birds act in nature, specifically the ones, I believe it's like a David Attenborough film where he talks about, you know, the the procreation and the everlasting of birds and basically the males have to do, you know, funny dances to, you know, get the woman or, you know, make the bird, you know. Like a peacock. Exactly. Exactly. It's never an intentional look at me, look at me. It's just what comes natural. And it's something that if it comes natural, it can't be faked. And so I because I kind of have a little bit of you know, the stigma also with using the term attention seeking, because I think that that is so subjectional. For some people, it is so built into their nature, kind of like what we talked about with you not even feeling reserved because it's just so naturally part of you to get your energy back to need to go have time alone and whatever that is, watching a movie, taking a walk, reading a book. It's almost kind of like you're outgoing and socially skilled and equipped to know when you need to tap in and be colorful versus when you need to tap out and be reserved. Yeah. And I can, I can say not everybody who's high and colorful reacts the way I do. Some people are like, yeah, (laughs) 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 like like they own it. But I, you know, I think that, well, how about you? Let me throw it to you, uh, Christina, what, what sticks out for you? I actually like Brittany's uh, themes um, for animals. I find it very, very special and actually like it. Um, the theme colorful, what comes in my mind to my mind from the movie themes is definitely Samantha of Sex and the City. And when I think oh, about the... That's a good one. <laughs> I'm a millennial, so it was my time. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure if one would ask the character in the series... If the overused strength, like the derailer, being attention-seeking, self-promoting, and dramatic, if that's an outcome that she would want to step back, I think is exactly what she wants to be, even if it comes with a cost, like like me or hate me, I don't care. Uh, love me or hate me, I meant to say, I don't care. Uh, that is my personality. I think the character in Sex and the City really emphasizes even the negative part of the colorfulness. Well, and I think that's like a normal thing about personality in general. If you think about some of these things, they've been a part of who we are for such a long time. And we, a very normal human thing is to build rationalizations around who we are, right? Like we'll pick some fact or we'll pick some event and say, oh, this is why I am the way I am. 
or we'll look at some of our derailing qualities and kind of be like, well, oh, yeah, all right. Um, but you know who I think about? I think about Michael Scott from The Office, right? Never misses an opportunity to get attention, talks more than he listens, totally self-promotes, and is completely dramatic. So I like that one. The um, So I was going to ask you guys if you were to pick one for, because we're winding down to the last two derailers, which are, uh, I think, the last two, which are diligent and leisurely. If you were to pick one for diligent, which is about being sort of detailed and conscientious, but potentially micromanaging or being a little bit of a perfectionist or nitpicky when you're derailing, um, what what would you think of? The first thing that comes to my mind is Jack Nicholson's character in The Shining. I could view it as a lot or of- Jack Nicholson's character in anything. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I, I think you're onto something. Yeah. It, it, you know, I think he has a whole, he's got a whole bar shelf of derailers. Let's not lie. But for me, it's just when he gets into, and I think it's after, you know, Stanley Kubrick does his Kubrick stare. I think something clicks in Jack Nicholson with, he needs to be to pull this off, right? To pull off the rest of the Shining movie and the actions he needs to do. He needs to now not be so sloppy and be detail-oriented, right? Because Diligent is all about conscientious, perfectionist, nitpicky to a certain extent. To the point of being sort of obsessive. Yes, yes. And that's something, you know, when he's writing out all play, no work makes like Jack a good boy or something like that. Mm. It is the perfectionism. It is trying to get it right. It is falsifying writing this entire narrative so we can continue to write it. And it is just, to me, that's just the first thing that comes to my mind. Yeah. And it's an interesting one because it's a, it's a, it's a great example of like, how in so many ways the things that you were describing in Diligent are really positive characteristics, right? Like detail orientation, being really conscientious. But in the extreme version of it, you become the controlling person. So one, in addition to Jack Nicholson, I I think his character, as good as it gets, fits that definition. But another character, if you've ever seen, uh, well, this is another Jack Nicholson movie but it's not about him if you've ever seen one flew over the cuckoo's nest and nurse ratchet nurse ratchet is a great example in my mind (laughs) yeah Uh, i remember it's been a while but yeah clearly that's also a really good point another one uh, not just for a movie but for the entire jason um james i'm just already saying jason well the james bond theme is um, M, you know, the one who sits in the headquarters, whatever great mission James Bond actually accomplishes, she will find something that could have been better. Um, <laughs> he could save the world. <laughs> of the way that he has to throw away his cell phone just to get some work done because she would always be in the way and micromanaging every freaking detail. Honestly, that's a great example. That's a great example. So the final one that we have is uh, leisurely, and it's this idea of being overly cooperative and really agreeable outwardly, but you know, derailing and becoming sort of stubborn, irritable, or passive resistant. And the idea there is, you know, you want to be cooperative and you want to be agreeable, but you also have an agenda yourself, but you hide that agenda 
because you're afraid that you won't come off as agreeable or cooperative. So what do you guys have for that one? For this one, and I apologize if I am botching the actor's name and his character, but it reminds me of Antonio Banderas from Evita. And it's mainly because if you've ever seen the film- Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, Evita? You nailed it on the head, boss. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, the the reason why I get this is because- Leisurely, we're talking about being overtly cooperative, stubborn, passive resistant to the point of whether it's intense or not, you're going to have passive aggressiveness in your in the mix of that. And he's following Eva Perron and, you know, kind of narrating the story. And he he's very conflicted. He wants, you know, he wants to support, you know, the the because he's she's the wife of the Argentinian president and dictator, Juan Perón. So, you know, he wants to be supportive of his native land, but he's so conflicted because at a certain point, she's just rising to fame in a non-powerful way or a non-traditional way. And so physically, while he's narrating, you can see the push and pull of, you know, I can't say it out loud because it's a dictatorship, but I I need to say what's wrong and what's right in my mind. And the, the scene that sticks out with me is when she is singing the Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, and he just looks at the crowd, looks at her, and just walks away. It's the most, you know, for it's the most passive resistant, passive aggressive he got in the entire film, in my opinion. Mm, mm, that's a good one. I like it. Christina, do you have anything you want to throw in there? Hmm, it's been a while, but what about Sharon Stone and Basic Instinct? Every yeah. time, <laughs> I know we all get some pictures here, but... That's a good one. Time, yeah, I mean, I, I think she really comes across as very agreeable, and she tries to cooperate with anyone when she's been questioning, but it's absolutely crystal clear that she is following her own agenda and is just spinning her net. Right, 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 right. So I was going to, now that we've covered sort of like all of them, I was going to step back and ask you guys from the perspective of somebody who has, you guys have worked hard to sort of like develop your own self-awareness. And, you know, we're being light about these things and definitely like fictional and other metaphors are in there, but it can really throw people's lives off, I think, if they're not aware of their derailers and don't at least have the opportunity to figure out when their derailer works for them and when it doesn't. I'm just curious, like how how impactful or not has it been for your life to understand your derailers? I mean, for me just jumping in here for me has been very impactful. Um, I think Brittany might know my example that came out of um, my, let's say, becoming more aware is when I told Brittany about like, when I, let's say, have discussions with my husband, given that we have very different strengths and, and skills and different derailers, but knowing mine and kind of knowing his um, I would be always too just too fast and boom, here here are my facts. Let's find a solution. And he needs to really think. Uh, he needs time to think. And he likes things in writing. Like he's a typical lawyer. And I'm like in a lot of ways a full opposite. So now um, based after my Hogan certification, um, now if we enter discussions, I provide him an Excel sheet. Could with- you... 
just in the Hogan certification is a certification in the personality assessment, the Hogan development survey that deals with uh, derailers. Keep on going. Yes. So, for example, um, he needs he needs time to think about it, and he is very very high and excitable, which one one doesn't see. So. So before I put him under stress, given that I put so much pressure on him, he now has time to really think things through and we we can find a solution given that I know to to step back and that he is he needs to socially withdraw and that he becomes ex- that's for him stress is if someone puts pressure on him then he becomes his excitable which is his highest derailleur uh, he becomes super inconsistent and volatile, and no one needs that in solution finding. So that's yeah, it's not going to get you to the end result. So knowing both are super super important. And and so Britt, like from your perspective, like how has it had an impact on your life? It's had, and I think we've talked about this, you know, multiple times. It has had significant impact on my life. It is. It's something that I think I will never take for granted, no matter how many debriefs I have in the future. I'll I'll never forget that first debrief that you and I had where it really, for me, was reshaping the understanding of who I am, not only as a worker, because that is beneficial, right? That'll go with me everywhere that I am in the world but just me as an individual too, who I am is Brittany Lawhorn. And, you know, I, I love Christina's example of, you know, kind of how it helps her in her domestic partnership. I think that that's incredible. For me, I'd say it does the exact same thing um, to the point where I am almost creating a uh, Hogan profile of my partner. I'm like, okay, he's acting skeptical right now. So I should, you know, tone down my cautious and, you know, I think one thing that it's helped me reshape is actually the relationship with my parents. Um, My mom and I, you know, like every mom-daughter relationship, we would get in fights and, you know, sometimes about big things and sometimes about the most minute thing in the whole entire world. And I would, you know, go grow frustrated and go to my dad and be like, why, why is mom being like this, you know? And he's like, well, it's both of you. You both are so similar that you are clashing heads. You you both have not only, you know, similar personalities, if you will, but you also have similar egos with it and you don't want to put down your guard. And, you know, I always kind of brushed it off. Like, how could two people that are so similar fight like that? You know, it would just to me didn't make sense. And when I was going through my Hogan debrief, I was like, yeah, that's my mom. Okay, that scores my mom. All right, that scores my dad. And so it just kind of helped me understand that, you you know, people, everyone's experiencing the world for the first time too. And so for me, it was really interesting. And I'm, I'm still trying to get her to take a Hogan so I can see how right or wrong I am. But, um, you know, like to Christina's point with it, helping her understand her relationships, it definitely gave me a lot of power and strength and stability and my, you know, my parents' relationships. Yeah. It's interesting that you make those points because I think for me as well, like that is, I mean, it's just unbelievably powerful to think that you're able to take something like this and take it into different parts of your life, even without having really fully assessed other people 
and basically know, um, you know, based on what you know about your own derailers and how to mitigate against them, how you can have better relationships with people. Because I, I tend to think that this is what it's all about, right? Like we as human beings can accomplish very little on our own. Like imagine if you were on this earth all on your own, you couldn't build a house, you couldn't put together a car, you couldn't, you know, I, I don't know, you, maybe you could climb a mountain, but you know, who's going to get you the water, the shoes, the other stuff like that. And that, you know, the idea of like building this self-awareness to understand yourself better and mitigate against uh, your derailers sort of just makes it a better world. But for me, what understanding my Hogan really did for me, what understanding my personality really did for me was allowed me to give other people grace. There used to be things that I looked at in other people and I'd be like, why would anyone do that? Or, you know, what, what is, what's wrong with this person? And then I was able to see these things in myself that are truly an outlier and understand where they were coming from and how to mitigate against them. And so probably the best thing that's come out of understanding personality for me is an ability to give people so much more grace, just the same kind of grace I need to be given. I love that. Well, that really nails it. It's all about relationships and it never hurts to be self-aware. I think that's my biggest takeaway that if I could really choose, I would love that we live in a world that everyone would be self-aware and would have taken the Hogan assessment. This is the Silver Linings Handbook. I'm Jason Blair. I'll see you next week for our next episode.